When people show up with curiosity, I mean real curiosity, only good things will eventually happen. Andy Tennant is one of those people who embraces curiosity in his life. He's a writer, he's a director, and he has so many questions about his past, about his present. And throughout his week, he just kept discovering over and over again new insights, new information. It was a joy to watch him learn about himself, about his life, about his past. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andy Tennant. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning. And on this podcast, we catch up with graduates of the process and have a conversation with them about how their work in the process is informing their life outside of the process, how their spirit and how their love are living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. My name is Drew Horning. Andy Tennant is with us today. If you don't recognize the name, you will when I share a little bit about his work. He's a writer and a director. He has written and directed Ever After, A Cinderella Story, Fool's Rush In, Anna and the King, Sweet Home Alabama, Hitch, Fool's Gold, so many good things that he's been a part of in Hollywood. And he got his start as a dancer in Greece and Greece too, way back when. He also is a husband and a father of four with triplets in that four. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. Glad to be here. And a Hoffman Process graduate. Indeed. So, as someone who has been through it, I'm just curious about your early impressions of it, like the first day, the first evening. What was going through your mind in those early moments of the process? Well, driving up from Los Angeles, I, I wanted to turn around two or three times. I, I was excited to go and curious uh, and intrigued on my way up, but as I got closer and closer <laughs> to Petaluma, I I just started thinking, "What am I doing? Why am I going? This is stupid. I I don't need this." But I, I mean, all of those thoughts were just bump, you know, bouncing around in my head. And then I got there, and I felt all of my classmates, you know, all twenty-seven of them, I think. We all kind of felt the same way, and we all were very cordial and and friendly, and we had this kind of opening night dinner before the process actually started, and I think that made me feel better that we were all very, very nervous, and it was we were definitely going to go outside our comfort zone, and so I thought, oh, I've got this. This is going to be fine, and then the next day, it was a, a wallop and a shock. Take us to that wallop and a shock, because it's an, it's, it's an immersive experience. As you look back now, what was happening for you 
with that walloping shock. Well, I remember passing you on the on the road, the path uh, back to my room uh, after that dinner, feeling like, oh, everybody's here. This is going to be, you know, this is camp for adults. This is going to be great. And you you mentioned something to me uh, in passing. It was just kind of like, you know, okay. And then I kept walking, and it just stuck with me. And I got back to my room, and obviously, you know, we didn't have our phones, we don't have computers, we didn't have anything like that. But we do ha- we did have writing pads. And I remember going back and starting to write. And I think I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then the next day, when it all started, I personally really wanted to surrender to the process. I, I wanted to, you know, I was there. I was I was full in, and I think by lunch I was like so happy that I was there. So by the time lunch came around, it was like okay. On day one, I was just like number one. I think because there are there were four teachers, and every one of them was so dynamic and compassionate and articulate and inspirational that it wasn't going to be some magical cure to anything. It was just going to be a time to to stop the world i want to get off and i want to know and i want to understand what's going on with me andy you know a lot of people at times can assume the process is about mom and dad and certainly they are in charge of our caregiving and we receive patterns from them and yet part of your process was about your sister. And and I would love if you could share a little bit of the evolution of that and, and what happened and how the process supported you in your healing. In fact, the, the, the night uh, before the process started and you and I passed each other, I said, you know, we have to, everyone, all the students have to fill out a, a very comprehensive uh, questionnaire that, you know, is takes hours and hours and hours to do. And, and you kind of, while you're doing it, you just think, what, is, what, what am I doing? But I remember, you know, filling out the, the multitude of questions and, and being, you know, completely honest and, can, and having lots of candor and what, what that was for me. But as we, you and I passed each other, it was like, hey, Drew, hey, Andy, good to see you. You know, we'll see you tomorrow morning. You know, have a good night. Have a good night. And then you said to me, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about with your sister. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I kept going. And that, it just landed. And I'm walking back to the dorm going, well, what did he mean by that? I don't understand. What's going on? <laughs> and, and it got me thinking and got me writing. And ultimately, what Hoffman did for me was they talk about the negative love syndrome and, and that shame is the mother of all patterns and 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 it's really the the core of of so many things and through the process i began to realize that i carried my family's shame because of my sister having a uh incestuous relationship with my father and it was this kind of horrific thing that i only found out about when i was out of college and lots of dramatic revelations came about my sister uh was incredibly self-destructive because of it she died early 
I mean, it was just, it's just horrible. And I have always, uh, I think, not even knowing it until I really went through the process that, that I just had tremendous guilt and shame about it and was embarrassed by my sister and the person that she turned into without ever knowing what had really happened to her. And then when it did happen, feeling incredible shame and, and guilt about not rescuing her or saving her in some way. And it just was an incredible revelatory kind of week where so much of what I think I was carrying had to do with my little sister. The Hoffman experience for me and the, the expression of that awareness and the, the expression of the bashing, everything else that came with it, I think had such a profound effect on unlocking and breaking down all the stuff that's behind the anger, all the stuff that's behind your intellect, all the, all the things that are hiding in that. It's like that joke, you know, it's like cartoons where you open the closet and all the sports stuff comes tumbling out. That's how it felt. I didn't realize how angry I was. I didn't realize how much I had been holding on to and denying and negating and justifying. So that was, that was for me, that was a, that was a big issue. You know, therapy is so helpful, but you're, you're speaking to the second step of the cycle of transformation expression after awareness that it doesn't end with awareness that it, the expression piece is critical what did that do for you i uh, it was so revelatory for me i kind of started to discover beneath all that kind of intellectual justification for not doing something or my anger at doing something i i found so much unbearable grief and that that to me was the the kind of it kind of unlocked like what else am i hiding from myself How, what other shame do i have and and i think i in my family i believe i carried the shame of the family in a way and became sort of an enabler where everything was fine i made jokes i was funny i kept my mom happy you know, I was very close with my sister. It was just all that kind of stuff that all started to come out as I beat the shit out of that pillow. So for me, the that was sort of, you know, it's like pulling the string of something and going, oh, what, what does this do? And then the, it just took, it just unraveled everything for me. So I was able to, once I sort of unlocked that part of me, it felt like I could bash my father, I could bash my mother, I could bash my wife, I could bash myself, I could bash my God. Everything about how angry, and, and that, that to me was so scary at first. And then what was beneath that, with all that sort of grief and shame and outrage, forgive me, but it was like popping an emotional zit that just exploded, you know, and it was like, oh, there's so much relief. You know, when you describe that, part of what I hear is that once you understood what was happening, oh, and when you say bash, you're just talking about engaging in expressive, cathartic work, using different people in your life as a way, a way to heal yourself. So we're not, we're not harming these other people we're talking about. And then, but something happened for you, it sounds like, because once you understood, oh, this is how this works. There's grief underneath this. 
Oh, I get this. It sounds like you doubled down a little bit and went after even more. Yeah. No, I did. I, I, uh, my hands were bloody. I'd lost my voice. Uh, there were days, and I've talked to my other, my fellow students about this, but, you know, there were days of bashing where, you know, you get to lunch and you're like, I, I have nothing left. There's nothing left. I'm done. I'm, I've, I have no more anger. I have no more grief. I'm completely fine now. I'm healed. And then the afternoon would come and we'd be bashing something else and be like, I have nothing left. And then lo and behold, I'd have a ton more to deal with. I, th- I think that's the sort of the beauty of the process is the, the orchestration and, the, and the, the choreography of what the process does is so you cannot anticipate what's the next thing. And so it keeps you completely vulnerable to what is going to happen next. And, and I think that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the process is just to keep you from l- using your intellect to try to outsmart the process when the process is, is, is far smarter and, and, and far more uh, aware and ahead of you. I think after all of that cathartic work, you had some powerful, deepening, healing experiences in the compassion and forgiveness days, did you not? Oh, yeah. I swear to you, I would have bet my house that there was no way I could ever forgive my father. Subsequently, there was no way I would understand and really see my mother and my father's relationship uh, the way it needed to be seen. I fully committed but what happened was i started to do it for me i started to understand that this was this was about self love and all the negative love syndrome stuff that had been built up around it just just to kind of destroy all that and and i found myself really visualizing and seeing my parents marriage seeing what happened to them when they were children using the 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 line i i can't remember exactly how it was but 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 the the kind of psychic line between my grandparents to my parents, my parents to me, when I finally got to know my emotional child was pretty revelatory for me. It kind of knocked me on my ass. You remember where you were? I think it was up on the hillside. I think those two hours alone in nature, after all of the exercises, all the visualizations, all of the small, the small group, chats, everything. I think that's when I really met myself and forgave myself and forgave them. That, that to me was my, was a bit of a, a rebirth. It sounds like there was a communion of the three of you, your sister, your dad, and you. Yeah. When I say profound, I don't, I almost don't mean it in sort of this sort of heavy way. I almost feel like it was profound in a, almost like a souffle. It was so gentle in its power. You know, it wasn't a lightning bolt. It wasn't that. It was this gentle release of decades of stuff. And it has sustained. And the reason it's sustained and the reason I feel so, you know, comfortable talking about it, it's effortless now to just wake up and be grateful and be happy and it's not any kind of kumbaya it's just that all the darkness and all of the shame and all of the 
the self-loathing and the I am unlovable and all of those things just they're not even part of my my being. And it's I I don't think I'm being I mean I know there's a dark side, I know there are things that can come up, but when they do, to have the ability and the grace to know it and not fear it and not give it it not give into you know it and 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 deny it its power. It it really does just become your your truth. Andy, you know, to heal, to let go of that shame. I mean, we're applying words right now to a journey that is almost cellular, almost indescribable. But if you had to put words to it, what is the process like of healing around the wounds of your sister? I've told people that it was the, the most difficult, most profound, most emotional, most incredible spiritual week of my life. And, and, and that's not hyperbole. It really was. Uh, I've never cried so hard, but I've also never laughed so hard. And I think that all came from release of so much stuff that, you know, that I didn't even know I was carrying. And that, you know, obviously that was, you know, my sister was just one of the, you know, multitude of things that I dealt with, but it just, it's like peeling an onion. I mean, you ultimately you're, you're the layers and layers and layers of your protective mechanisms and the, the way you can, you can shift your, your dynamic to, you know, to, to uh, rely on your intellect over your, your emotional child and your, your heart. And all of these things combined, it was just such a profound discovery process. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it was incredible. It's the best week of my life. Wow. And you've had some pretty good weeks, I imagine. I've had great weeks, but I, but I have been living, you know, under a, and then I'm speaking, you know, I'm speaking for my, my entire class, you know, all my classmates. I mean, I think ultimately what, what you also discover in the process is that you're not alone, that you're, that everyone's got their shit, you know, it all, it can all be different, but it's, it still is a profoundly affects who you are and how you navigate your life. And for the most part, you know, I would say, 99% 99% of the people there were, you know, successful, accomplished, fun, smart people, but they all had stuff. And um, it's confusing. And it, it wasn't confusing once you go through the process, but it is confusing when you equate your value as a human being to your accomplishments. And it just is an empty way to go through your, your life because that, that inner critic um, still knows who you are, you know, as a, as a child, and you feel like you're living a lie. Yeah, the power of that inner critic is pretty strong, isn't it? It's smarter, he's smarter than I am. <laughs> he knows how to manipulate me in, uh, in a multitude of very subtle, nuanced ways. Andy, as you talked about um, stripping away those layers, peeling the onion, I imagine you get to a very tender place, certainly in my experience as a teacher, and many people wonder, can I handle that? Do I want that kind of exposed, vulnerable part of me out in the world? 
is it scary? Too scary? Uh, one can lose all one's defenses. And I'm just, I, I don't believe that, but some people believe that, and that's why they don't do the process. So what would you say to people who have that argument? Yeah, I mean, I think in a, in a, in a general sense, the headline of the Hoffman Institute is for people to get out of their own way. And not, not to be glib, it's just that it, it is about becoming your authentic self. And if you don't understand the patterns that you're living and you don't understand why certain things, you know, are happening, you know, people who come to the process want to change, want to understand, want to have clarity. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard, and I think this is such a mis misnomer. You know, oh, it's you know somebody somebody once said you know it's oh, it's like ten years of therapy in a week, and I'm like that's so not even close to what it is, not therapy at all. I mean, it's not that kind of thing, and it isn't. Yeah, being vulnerable is one thing, and there are people who go to different you know can go deeper or go to certain levels, and some people have you know significant issues to deal with, and others have very private issues to deal with, and. What I would say to anybody who's nervous, it's like, you have every right to be nervous. I was nervous. I wanted to turn around and not go. But it's so nurturing. It, it actually is like a, you know, it's like going back into the womb. It's very nurturing, very fun, very liberating in a way. And I think the, the beauty of the, and the craftsmanship of how you guys have scheduled the, the week is like, you never know what you're going to do in the next hour. You can't anticipate the next thing, whether it's a visualization or it's a bit of a, of a talk or it's a bit of sharing or it's this or it's that or it's a game. Or it, it's so kind of, it keeps you so off your, off your, you know, on your toes that, you know, like, what is it, 165, 170 different exercises that, that you do in that week? That to me is the is the beauty of the process, and it is a process. It's that you don't know what's coming, and so you have to ultimately surrender to the whole thing. And there are people who, like on day two, you feel very self conscious about doing something, and part of the expression, and you're like, I, I don't know if I can really get into this, and then suddenly you're into it, and then you're like, oh, I'm done with that, and then the next day you do it again, and you're like, well, I was, I'm, I'm already done with all that expression, and then you find out, oh my god, they're, they're, it's a, the well is deep, and it keeps coming up, and it comes up, and it's, it's, it just becomes a, a fountain of self-expression and discovery that is, that's when, that's when you get to the part that is just inspirational, and su such a relief to, to finally be able to understand it and know it and face it and then forgive it and move on understand it know it face it and then forgive it and move on i love the outline of the process andy tenant style i i have a question about hollywood and your experience as a writer and a director and someone who creates characters and molds characters. I mean, you're in a way in the people business. And certainly you have created characters that experience change and growth. And when people move on the screen emotionally, 
it's inspiring. So you know this work. I'm just, just kind of curious the difference between Hoffman and your work in creating characters that certainly have multiple layers as beings. I make fun movies. What I'm more interested in is movies that explore the human condition. There are days I wish I was Scorsese or David Fincher or Quentin Tarantino, and you know, and 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 I and I love a lot of those movies too. I just, it's not me, you know. And when you think about what you're going to spend a year and a half of your life on, whether you're writing it and then directing it and then editing it and then putting the soundtrack to it and the score and you, with the London Philharmonic and you're, you know, it's like, why am I doing this? And for me, it's trying to make people laugh and make people feel. You know, it sounds corny, but uh, it's a fairly dark world out there, and and people are struggling. And I've always thought that, you know, even in the '30s with Preston Sturgis and the and the you know the Great Depression, some of the great comedies were coming out of at the you know the worst of times. It was because people needed. It was like Sullivan's Travels. You know, people need to to laugh. And I did find great, I don't know, pride in movies that really shouldn't necessarily travel overseas you know going around the world with hitch and, and sweet home alabama it's like i was once told that that uh warned that when we you know we opened the german uh, the berlin film festival with hitch and we were warned well the germans don't laugh so don't be don't be too upset or you know shocked when the you know the movie doesn't play very well it played like gangbusters it i mean the Germans laughed harder than any any other group that I and I saw it around the world. I saw it in probably fifteen different countries, but people automatically la- laughed. I mean, they laughed at all the same jokes and all the same human behaviors and all the same stuff. And it just reinforced in me that it is a it is a real blessing that I get to do what I what I get to do. And I honestly, you know, part of character development is. You know, some people go straight back to, you know, Bruno Bettelheim's The Uses of Enchantment, which is about fairy tales and what they say and how they affect children and Joseph Campbell and what uh, Lucas used. It, you know, storytelling is an important part of, of revealing character, revealing ambition and darkness and desire and family and, you know, love. Wow, Andy. It's just a pleasure listening. So you mentioned so many good things. I think we'll put some of these in the show notes so that people can understand a little bit the history of film and some of these references you're making. Um, So I really appreciate that. And I want to ask about laughter because you talk about the Berlin Film Festival and, and the Germans laughing despite the fact that, you know, you were warned that that would not happen. How did you make people laugh? Is it a formula? What's what's your gift around bringing smiles and chuckles to people's faces when they watch a film? I have to tell you, it's really hard to defend a joke for a year and a half before an audience sees it. <laughs> you know, you you have you have studios, uh, executives, and people reading something and saying that's not funny, and. Uh, why do we need this scene? And you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is really funny. Uh, and that can sometimes be my, my biggest challenge. I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily think funny. I'm, I don't feel I'm a, 
I'm not a comedian. I try to write from the heart and I try to write, but I think, you know, human foibles are funny and, and being lovesick uh, makes you vulnerable and do stupid things. And I think we all can, you know, maybe this is an English expression, but you know, they, we can take the piss out of ourselves and just be human. And to be human is to be vulnerable and to mess up and to be awkward. And I think that's what audiences relate to in any language. You know, it's not just a pratfall that can make you, you know, that can make audiences laugh. It, it can, it can be a look, it can be a, it can be a reaction. So I, I mean, I think my movies work overseas because it's less about a joke line because often if it's a joke kind of movie, it's just, it's a joke, and often language, you know, uh, the, the 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 written word. Sometimes that joke does not translate. But human emotion and the human condition and human frailty and human vulnerability and all of that, those things uh, translate easily in any language. We've all been in love. We all had our heart broken. We've all had to deal with funny situations. So, I guess that's kind of it. I love the. The human frailty, human emotion transcends language. That's a bit of what the process is about, is, is allowing our full humanity to come to the surface. Well, that's exactly what it is. And I think it shouldn't be such a surprise when you finally meet yourself, but it is. Oh, you got to say a sentence or two more about that. That, that is just beautiful. Keep going. Oh, but it's, but it's true. It's true. It's like I'm... 66 years old and i finally feel like i know me and i you know over the christmas holiday uh, i was with my family and the best part of 2021 was that week at the hoffman institute because it it changed my life and it didn't change it in that i'm a new person i'm actually the person i always was meant to be and i was the i'm now the person that I, I feel like I'm flourishing in a way that I haven't. And part of that was I was too busy. And part of it, I was overwhelmed. Part of it, I was too angry. Part of it, it was, there's so many other things going on. But boy, do I wish I had taken the process, you know, when I was 30. I could have saved myself a lot of heartache and slip sliding and everything else. And so, what do you do with that lost time? How does your post-process experience hold those years that maybe you wish you could have back? Well, I think part of it is to be mindful that I can't get those years back, but I can, moving forward, celebrate all that I am and all that I know. And I have to say, I, you know, my kids have noticed it, my wife has noticed it, my friends have noticed it. And I kid you not, two days ago, I went to get my yearly checkup with a doctor I've had forever. And she just looked at me and she goes, what, what's happened to you? Like, you're a completely different person. She goes, you just exude happy. You know, and I, <laughs> I was sitting there in a hospital gown, you know, <laughs> so, but um, it was great. It, it just, it just affects your everyday existence. And I don't mean to sound like it's, you know, like you're, you, you know, you go away and you come back and you're all kind of zombied out in this bliss. It's not that. It's not that all your problems, you know, go away and you're cured. 
what happens is the way you approach your day, the way you wake up, the way you go to bed, the way you check in with yourself, the way you deal and and communicate with your loved ones and your friends and the world around you is generous and open and authentic and kind. It's just your all the tension in your shoulders. You know, it just kind of ebbs away. And yes, of course there's you still got to do your taxes, you still got to get a job, you still got to work, you still have frustrations, things happen and you know, the guy who cuts you off on the highway pisses you off for a second, but it doesn't affect you like it it used to and that's what I'm I'm so grateful for. So in in moving forward, I just think, ah, oh, just I literally have cut off the the train of baggage that I have been dragging around for years and years and years. And truthfully, I think one of the the most liber- liberating things is I am lighter and brighter because I have not only forgiven myself but others. I have great compassion for the people who have wounded me or harmed, you know, harmed me in some way. But also just great compassion for the you know the world in general and what I'm what everyone is going through and I think that's a, an awareness that clearly I you know I thought I had but all that new behavior that comes toward the end of the process and those exercises and those visualizations and everything they really do set you on a on a different way of waking up every day. Andy, I, I love your description. You have a I know you're a writer, but you're also a vocalizer with your capacity to put it into words. I want to ask about the Kaminsky method, your show you're a part of the writing and directing process. Not the writing, the the directing and the producing. That's all Chuck Lorre. Okay. So it's a TV show out now, Kaminsky method, written by Chuck Lorre, uh, co-directed by yourself and a part of the production producing how is that going post-process, and what's the show like, and, and what's it like to direct it? I have found lately that I have attracted male mentors into my life, which I find really poetic because of a difficult relationship with my father. It's been kind of a wonderful, you know, a value add to my life that men in their 70s and 80s, you know, Alan Arkin, Michael Douglas, Chuck Lorre, Donald Sutherland, there's just this cadre of older men finally seem to get it, you know, whether they've gone through the process or not, there's something about wisdom that comes, I guess, maybe with age and everything else. But I have been, uh, far more open to embracing uh, mortality, embracing, you know, the every day. My joy is not walking around looking at the trees in the sky and going, you know, life is brilliant. It, it, you know, that's a part of it. But I just feel so lucky and lighter. And I think it, it does affect my work. It does affect my day because I'm part of the Hoffman process has the gratitude and appreciation at the end of every day. And I've taken that on as a, as a kind of a practice because I'm, you know, it's like, what am I grateful for? What do I appreciate about the day? And sometimes it's not 
all the nice stuff. It's the, it's the lesson or it's the challenge or it's the, the thing that came my way that I was able to actually navigate, even if it was difficult. Um, so I, I, I find working on a show about age and about the, the comedy in that show is, <laughs> is really about being vulnerable to the, the breakdown of your, of your life and your body. And it's just a joy. It's a joy to make people laugh. It's a joy to be around creative people who celebrate life and humor and understand, you know, it's, it's not all a bed of roses, but it's better than the alternative. Uh, I'm smiling. What's it like to remember your process, talk about your experiences, reflect on your work? This is the middle of your day, Andy. You uh, are clearly very busy. And so to take this pause, to pony up to a microphone for this interview, I'm grateful. What, what's that like? Very grateful. I uh, made really good friends from my week there. Uh, fortunately for me, there's like four or five of the of my classmates that actually live uh, where I live, and so we get together for dinners. And the beauty of those dinners uh, and those get-togethers, and I've I've seen I've seen people in Washington D.C. I've seen you know classmates uh, in New York. Is yes that week was difficult and, you know, um, challenging and scary at, at times. And then ultimately so liberating and so wonderful that we, when we get together, it's just about love. I mean, we just love each other and we see each other and we understand what we're going through. And we, we go, we get past the, the small talk of, you know, how, how's life? What are you working on? Blah, blah, blah. And then we really get to talking about stuff. And it just is so, it's so safe to find people that are willing and open and honest about their frailties and what they're going through and their fears and their challenges and their wounds. And I try to take that with me into all the relationships I have. And it's been really fun and interesting to see people who have not gone through the process actually be affected by the way I now communicate with them. There isn't a person that I know that I don't tell them that I love them and that they're important to me. And honestly, before your very eyes, people blossom. Three powerful words, and I guess that I see you as well. I see you, I love you. And you share it openly, unabashedly. Even recently, you know, with the, the death of Bob Saget, everybody, uh, to a person, were so taken with the fact that he, he told people that he loved them, that they, you know, he had such an energy about him that that's the legacy that he has left, is that he was open and vulnerable and funny, but never missed an opportunity to tell people that he loved them. Andy, thank you for this conversation. I leave uplifted from your experiences and your stories. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Ras Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.